I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Romans, chapter 7, verse 14 through 24. For the past few weeks, we've been focusing on the corporate experience of revival. And today, I would like to focus on the individual, internal experience of revival and what happens when the Holy Spirit comes into us. We know in the book of Acts that the Holy Spirit came and there was a corporate revival, but corporate revival always begins with individual revival. God changes the world by first changing me. And I want to read from Romans chapter 7, verse 14 through 24. Here is described a real internal struggle that Paul describes in the first person. Romans chapter 7, verse 14 through 24. For we we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells, for for to will is present with me. But how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil that I will not to do, that I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do, for I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? That is very difficult to read. Wow. Hand it to Paul, right? I have a different translation here from the Message Bible that I thought just synthesized this in modern terms. Here it is. What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another. Doing things I absolutely despise, I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. I tried everything, and nothing happened helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Now we can understand it, right? There it is. Essentially what Paul is saying is that there are certain things that I know that I should do, but I don't do them. And then there's other things that I know I shouldn't do, but I end up doing them. Now don't raise your hand, but how many of you can relate to this experience? How many of you have something in your life that you know that you should do, but you really have a hard time doing it? And then there's another thing that you really hate, but you kind of love it too. 
and you say, I'm never gonna do this again, and you end up doing it, and then you say, I'm never gonna do this again, and you hold off for a little bit, but then you end up doing it. This is a real internal struggle, and notice that this is not a struggle outside of an individual. The struggle is where? Inside. It's internal. Every human being goes through this inner real conflict. And pull out your study guides, which is in your bulletin. Give some of the key texts and quotations from today's message. And here it is from the King James, the New King James again. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging here's the key word, war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. So this is a real existential struggle, isn't it? There's a conflict, an inner conflict that we all experience, a conflict between what we know that we should do and the things that we know that we shouldn't do, and we find ourselves in this constant, very depressing very wretched existence of doing the things that we hate. And notice how Paul ends this little monologue in the first person. He says, O wretched man that I am. In other words, this is such a deplorable human existence. And Galatians puts it this way. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do whatever you want. Now, let's paint an innocuous, an innocuous illustration that I think that we can all relate to, where we feel this inner conflict. You've just eaten a three-course meal or a very heavy meal, and you didn't think that there was dessert. So you thought, I'm going to plan, I'm going to plan well, I'm going to eat everything I can, and then the dessert tray comes around, and you are full, beyond pleasantly full, just to that place where you have to unbuckle for the gentleman, (laughs) your belt on the top, and you're just sitting there, and the dessert tray comes around, and it's your favorite, whatever it is, German chocolate cake, and it's just oozing with decadence. And you smell it, and then the inner conflict begins, doesn't it? There's a part of you the intellectual, reasonable, rational part of you, your conscience, we could say, that says, you know, David, you really shouldn't eat that because if you do, you won't feel good, you might get sick, you've eaten to capacity. And then there's the other part of you that says, just a little bite, right? Then your reason and conscience says, you know it won't end with a bite. Right? And then we go through this conflict, and it is a wretched feeling. I'm talking from experience. When you eat that German chocolate cake, 
and you know you shouldn't have, and then for the next five hours, you're drinking Pepto-Bismol. You know, it, it is just this experience that we go through, and this conflict between what you know you should do and this other aspect of your desires and your carnal nature is a microcosm of our human existence that can apply to every other area of our lives that is not so innocuous as dessert. You can apply it to sexuality. You can apply it to the desire for power. You can apply it to any temptation. This inner conflict is very, very real. So what do we do? And as I meditated on this study, I realized that this is arguably the most important practical study on the realities of the Christian experience because internally we have this struggle between the flesh and the spirit, between our carnal nature and our conscience. And many people, understandably, just throw their arms up and say, forget it. I'm not going to even struggle anymore. I'm just going to indulge. Indulge without guilt, people like to say. Why struggle? Just throw up your hands and indulge. And other people go through this existence. You know, some people used to complain about babies and so forth, but uh, it's a little bit different when it's mine. Oh, my, bless your heart. Oh, boy. Have mercy. Sorry. <laughs> Lord, help us. All right. So we have this internal conflict, and look in your study guide. Oh, don't look in your study guide just yet, but there's in, this internal conflict between the spirit and the flesh, this real, real conflict between the carnal nature and the spiritual nature. And in your study guide on page 47, it says, many are inquiring, how am I to make the surrender of myself to God? You desire to give yourself to him, but you are weak in moral power, in slavery to doubt, and controlled by the habits of your life of sin. Your promises and resolutions are like ropes of sand. You cannot control your thoughts, your impulses, your affections. So how many of you felt like this? Weak in moral power, controlled by the habits of your life. Your resolutions are like ropes of sand. And she goes on in the book Steps to Christ. What you need to understand is the true force of the will. This is the governing power in the nature of man, the power of decision or of choice. Everything depends on the right action of the what? Of the will. The power of choice God has given to men, it is theirs to exercise. You cannot change your heart. You cannot of yourself give to God its affections, but you can choose to serve him. You can give him your will. Thus your whole nature will be brought under the control of the Spirit of Christ. This is so foundational, so fundamental, so essential for us to realize that in this real internal battle between the spirit and the flesh between what you know you should do and what you know you should not do is not to just buckle up and grit it out and grit your teeth and be like, I'm going to have willpower and conquer this thing. That is not the solution. Now, you may for a time be able to have some superficial 
seeming changes by willpower, but it's kind of like mowing the lawn and having a bunch of weeds and dandelions. You mow it, and it looks good for a day. But then, next thing you know, those weeds just start popping out in all different sorts of places. So the root problem is still the same. The essential foundational thing that we can do and really the only thing that we can do in this internal battle is to say, Lord, I give you my what? I give you my will. And notice she says that this is the governing power in the nature of man. It's not saying, I'm going to conquer this. It is, Lord, I can't conquer this. I give you my will. Now, what does that look like, practically speaking? So you have this conflict between the flesh and the spirit, and you pray and you say, Lord, I give you my will. Now, when we say we give God our will, what does that look like? In Christ's object lessons, fleshes it out, then the language of the soul will be, Lord, take my heart, for I cannot give it. It is thy property, keep it pure, for I cannot keep it for thee. Save me in spite of myself, my weak, unchristlike self. Mold me, fashion me, raise me into a pure and holy atmosphere where the rich current of thy love can flow through my soul. It's praying and saying, Lord, I give you my will, take my heart because I can't even give it. Take my heart, because I can't give it. Thoughts on the Mount of Blessings, 142. The will must be placed on the side of God's will. You are not able of yourself to bring your purposes and desires and inclinations into submission to the will of God, but if you are, and this is the most important part here, but if you are willing to be made willing, if you are willing to be made willing, God will accomplish the work for you. This is what it means to give God your will. Get, take my heart because I can't give it. Lord, help me to be willing to be made willing. I, what does that mean? In other words, you can say, Lord, give me the desire to desire. Help me to want to want. Help me to will to will. When you boil it down, really, it's something like this. Lord, I don't want to, but help me to want to. Wow, you, you don't even need to come to God saying, I want to. Matter of fact, you can't. The only way that you can come to God is saying, just come and say, Lord, I don't want to. Help me to want to. I mean, this is so profound when you bring it all the way down to the essence of what this really is. You come to God and say, Lord, I don't desire it. Help me to desire it. I mean, this is ultimate authenticity. This is the only way you can come. You actually can only come to God raw and authentic and honest and say, Lord, I love this sin I love this addiction. Matter of fact, I don't even want to give it up, but help me to want to. Whoa! So many people say, 
not going to come to God until I'm authentic, until I have the desire. And I can understand where that perspective is coming from, authenticity. But God says, look, let's back it up even more. You don't even have to come with the desire. You can just come and say, Lord, I don't have any desire, but help me to desire. This is the the beauty of what the Christian experience and how this begins. You have this inner conflict, so you say, Lord, I want this, but help me to want you. This is so just, when you boil it down, it is so profound how the only way we can come is the only way we are, just with the reality of that existential conflict. Now, what happens when you pray this prayer? And why is it so essential? The reality is, even the ability to come to God and say, Lord, I desire, help me to desire, Lord, I want, help me to want, or I don't want, help me to want, help me to be willing, to be made willing. Even that ability comes from God, and he places that within each one of us. And when we pray, Lord, I give you my will, this is what takes place. You have just given God permission for the Holy Spirit to enter. That this is the foundational element of the Christian experience. When you say, Lord, help me to be willing to be made willing, basically the door of consent has just been opened. And the Holy Spirit, which in our study says, says and states, the Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit brings with him the presence of who? The presence of Jesus. The Holy Spirit brings with him the presence of Jesus. Jesus comes into us through the Holy Spirit. Christ in me, the hope of glory. And this is what takes place. The Spirit of God, with its vivifying power, must be in every human agent that every spiritual muscle and sinew may be in exercise. So notice what happens. The Spirit of God brings with it a vivifying power. Now, I looked this up because this is not a term that I'm used to very much. Vivifying simply means life-giving. The Spirit of God, when it comes in, when you say, Lord, I give you my will, help me to be willing to be made willing, give me the desire to desire, the vivifying Spirit now is able to come in and give us life. Now, open your Bibles to one chapter over to Romans chapter 8, verse 11. Romans chapter 8, verse 11, and this is exactly what the Bible teaches. Romans chapter 8, verse 11, but if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the what? From the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. Notice what Paul is saying here. The Spirit of God is what raised Jesus from the what? From the dead. The Spirit of God is what 
raised Jesus from the dead. In other words, the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's power is what raised a man that was dead for three days to life. And he is saying that when we invite the Spirit in, that same Spirit, with its resurrection power, raises our spiritual nature to life. Now, this is the reality that we need to recognize. We need help. Matter of fact, we need so much help that it takes resurrection power to bring our spiritual faculties to life. That is the implication. Without the Spirit, there is no life. Uh, I mean, essentially, what, what this text is saying is that being without a, the Spirit is like being without a pulse, being without a heartbeat, is that with the absence of the Spirit, we have absolutely no chance. We are dead in trespasses and sins. So we need resurrection power inside of us to vivify our spiritual nature. We need to recognize how impossible this is. Look, the battle between the Spirit and the flesh is so impossible that the Holy Spirit literally has to come inside of us with resurrection power to help us in that battle. We are no chance without the resurrection power and the Holy Spirit that comes in. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead, when it comes into us, raises our spiritual nature to life. This is the beauty of the gospel. Everything necessary for you to be a loving and lovable Christian is in Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. Resurrection power. I mean, do you want resurrection power in your life today? I mean, whatever addiction, whatever habit that you're struggling with, I mean, this is the key. And it begins with, Lord, I give you my will. I give you my will. Let's move on. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Notice what happens when the Spirit of God comes into us. When we give God our will, when we say, Lord, help me to be willing, to be made willing, this is what happens. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives what? Who gives what? Who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Suddenly you have freedom through the Spirit. Through resurrection power, you now are free. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is now therefore no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. See, before you were spiritually dead. Before you had no capacity, no ability, no breath, you are born again through the Spirit who gives resurrection power and life, and now you are able to do what? You're able to walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. This is so foundational, so key to being a Christian. It is impossible to be a loving and lovable Christian without the Holy Spirit without the infused Holy Spirit that gives us spiritual life. 
Now, as we talked about last Sabbath, the Bible does not teach once filled, always filled. So just because today you said, Lord, help me to be willing to be made willing, tomorrow is a whole new day. And that's why Paul says, I die daily. It's not saying that he literally dies, but by giving God his will, he's saying, not my will, but your will be done. So he's dying to his carnal desires. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, yet the inward man is being renewed, how often? Day by day. How is the inner man renewed? We read this last Sabbath, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16 through 17, and verse 19, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through the Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that being rooted and grounded in love, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. There is so much in here, but notice that by inviting the Spirit in, we are renewed day by day, and by having the Spirit within us, we have Christ in us as well. This is a daily experience. Every day, we wake up, and this is our God-given choice. He will not do this for us. And we come openly, honestly, authentically before God and say, Lord, here I am. I desire to do this. Help me to desire to do this. I am not willing, but help me to be willing. I don't desire, but help me to desire. So foundational to our Christian experience. The reality is that the Christian experience begins at birth with the born-again experience, and then you walk with the Spirit, and as you walk with the Spirit, there are times when you fall. I'll never forget when I gave my heart to Jesus, a friend of mine who loves the Lord came to me and told me, two important keys for continuing the Christian experience. I was born again, but the individual told me the first thing, do it every day. When you wake up, give God your will. Invite him into your heart. And the second thing, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to fall. But when you fall, get back up. And keep on walking the Christian experience. And those things have just stayed with me because the reality is that even being a spirit-filled Christian, being born again, does not mean that we will never fall again. Not because God is not able, not because God is not powerful enough, but because of the reality of human nature. When we accept Jesus, I used to think that I received an immediate lobotomy. You know what that is? Like a removal of a portion of your brain. I, I, I literally believed that 
when I accepted Jesus, that I received a brain transplant. But the Bible teaches that we are to walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. It does not indicate that the flesh does not exist anymore. The reality is, when we accept Jesus as our personal Savior, the difference is that we are free from the flesh, but the flesh still is there. In other words, when I came to Jesus with all of those neural pathways and those habits and those addictions, those neural pathways were still ingrained in my brain. This is what we know from brain science, that when you do something over and over and over again, there are physical grooves, as it were, physical changes to the neural pathways and the neurons. They're called boutons. They, they actually grow on the end of those dendrites. When you are converted, those neural pathways are still there. What's the fundamental difference? After you give your will to God, you now can choose a new neural pathway. And as you are beginning the Christian experience, there are moments when you're learning how to walk that that first few repetitions are very, very difficult. Kind of like the first time you learn to drive a car. Very challenging. But then through repetition and through a faith walk empowered by Jesus, it becomes easier and easier. And brain science has showed that those old neural pathways, after a time of not being used, it's kind of like a path that hasn't been walked on for a long time, or a parking lot that hasn't been used. I lived in Michigan, and I'd go by the old Oldsmobile plants, and it's amazing. The parking lot is just full of weeds. And that is what happens with those old neural pathways. And this is a faith experience. And so some Christians, when they accept Jesus, they're excited and they're going through the Christian experience and they think, like I did, that you receive a brain transplant. That is not the case. The reality is God enables you to walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh and through persistence, which is grace-sourced, through all of this, God enables you to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh, but there are times when you struggle. There are certain things that when I accepted Jesus, they fell off immediately, just gone. But there were other things that dogged me. There were other things that I had to go back to over and over and over again. And here, a righteous man falls how many times? Seven times. Now, this is not saying a limit of seven. Seven is the number of perfection. This is an individual that falls multiple times and gets back up. But the key is they keep getting back up. Steps to Christ, page 64. We shall often have to bow down and weep at the feet of Jesus because of our shortcomings and mistakes, but we are not to be discouraged. Even if we are overcome by the enemy, we are, what is it there? I have it in caps. We are not cast off. 
not forsaken and rejected of God, and if you will but yield yourself to him, he that hath begun a good work in you will carry it forward to the day of Jesus Christ. Pray more fervently, believe more fully. We, we have this understanding that you invite the Holy Spirit into your life, you have the born-again experience, and then you fall, and we hear it. The devil comes to us and says, David, I thought you were a pastor, a Christian. I mean, what is the matter with you? It's like you might as well forget it and walk away from this whole thing or whatever it may be whispering in your ear. When you fall, when you make a mistake, there is that discouraging notion, a picture of God that says, look, God is done with you, but that is far from the case. We are not cast off. The beauty of the Christian experience is that it is embraced with grace. There's a lot of grace in our Christian experience. And so here is one part of grace. Forgiveness for when we fall. Pardon. I love this. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And this is true for every type of sin. Forgiveness, always there. When you fall, claim this promise. There have been times I have to kneel by my bed and I look it up and I say, praise God, it's still there. First John 1, 9. Thank you. And then you pray the prayer of forgiveness and you get up and regardless of the way you feel, you keep on walking because of faith in what God has said. So forgiveness for when we fall, pardon. And the other thing is, Strength to keep us from falling. Power, Jude 24. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. So on one hand, you have pardon for when you fall and on the other hand, you have power to keep you from falling. So this is the total package. It's all grace. You're born again. You're walking. You fall. There's pardon. You're walking. There's power to keep you from falling. And this is the beautiful tension of Scripture. Power and pardon. As we walk, the Christian walk, the Christian experience, the beauty of the gospel, exemplified by this picture of the woman that was caught in adultery. What a picture of God. Here is a woman caught in the very act of adultery and she is there before her accusers. Jesus writes in the sand, they all leave, and then the Bible tells us that it was just Jesus and the woman. Notice the dynamics of this interaction. The Desire of Ages tells us that this woman was the same one, Mary of Magdala, Mary Magdalene, whom Jesus had cast out demons seven times. So even after this experience, she went back. She struggled with her old way of life. Seven times he had to exercise demons. And notice the dynamics of Jesus with this woman. Jesus did not chastise the woman. Jesus did not berate the woman. Jesus did not scold the woman who was guilty. But in the presence of God, notice Jesus' words. Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn you. 
What is that? Pardon. Pardon. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. What is that? That's power. That's power. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Jesus has just summarized the two beautiful aspects of grace. Pardon for when we fall and power to keep us from falling. Steps of Christ, page 63. Our only ground of hope is in the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and in that wrought by His Spirit working in and through us. Let me read that again. Our only ground of hope is in the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and in that wrought by His Spirit working in and through us. When we invite the Holy Spirit in, when we say, Lord, I have an addiction that is destroying me. I have a habit that I simply can't beat. And we go to God with authenticity and say, Lord, I love this thing. Help me to hate it. I don't want to do your will. Help me to want to. Help me to be willing to be made willing. And from personal experience, I have found that when I've come to God with this ultimate honesty and saying, Lord, I don't even want to, but help me to want to, that there is something I can't explain, but there's a supernatural process that has just begun in that moment of consent. And the Holy Spirit is infused into us and with resurrection power enables us to desire to live and to walk a spirit-filled Christian experience full of pardon and power. Is that your desire today? How many of you want to say, Lord, help me to be willing, to be made willing? How many of you want that today? And say, Lord, I want the Spirit in my life. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, Lord, you are so good to us. There is nothing within us, there is nothing within me that can manufacture a loving and lovable person. And Lord, there is nothing in me that can even manufacture a desire for you. It all comes from you. But you have given us a gift, the power of choice. And Lord, today, we want to exercise this gift to invite you into our hearts. Lord, help us to be willing to be made willing. Help us to want to want to. Help us to desire to desire. Father, work in us today. Fill us with the Spirit of God 
which brings with it the presence of Jesus and resurrection power. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.